Welcome to Insights with Sights, the symphony of scripture, a weekly podcast exploring the themes and contours of the weekly scripture readings. For more information about the podcast or to download the companion notes, please visit www.wickliffcollege.ca/podcast. We now join our host, the Reverend Dr. Christopher Seitz. We come now to a major transitional section in the middle of the Gospel of Mark, traditionally noted. The threefold passion prediction of Jesus today, next week in chapter 9, and again finally in chapter 10, provides the steady rhythm line. Jesus' activity in Galilee his rapid-fire activity in chapter 1, his healings and teachings on the two sides of the Sea of Galilee, and then beginning to broaden out into Gentile regions, all the while being dogged by Jewish officials come up from Jerusalem. All of this is giving way now, driven by his announcement openly that he is to go up to Jerusalem. And as he tells his disciples three times, there be beaten, killed, and on the third day be raised from the dead. And he says this openly, plainly, boldly, without parable or figure. This openness and boldness on his side is, however, not reciprocated and is even rebuffed today by Peter and later with fear of further asking him about what he means and indeed silence. It has been noted that the entire section we are now entering, which runs to the end of chapter 10 and the actual events of Passover and death here being foretold, which unfold in the gospel's final four chapters, are framed by two healing stories, both of them involving blindness. Now, this is a fitting frame for the section, for the disciples will struggle to understand, like the man who, at Jesus' touch, first sees only people who look like trees, and then, after a second laying on of hands, see things clearly. The Gentile mission has continued with the feeding of the 4,000, which is the final episode preceding this frame and this major section of the Gospel of Mark. So today Jesus announces that his time has come. The Son of Man will be delivered up, a theme rooted in Daniel and Isaiah, in its own way in the Psalms and the other prophets, And by this means, the struggle with demonic forces will end in victory, not avoiding death, but meeting it head on, bearing its assaults and conquering it. The new exodus to the promised land marked out by Isaiah via this judgment entails all of Israel, the disciples in 
That day, the holy ones who follow in his wake, and it will affect all creation as well as Isaiah and Daniel had made clear. But this path was not the one Peter or the disciples had foremost in their minds or had yet contemplated with eyes fully cleared. For a horrible death as a means of salvation comes naturally to no one, even with the aid of the scriptures. And nothing in the first half of the gospel in their walk with Jesus had prepared them for this, this juxtaposition of insight into who Jesus is, given all he has done, you are the anointed one, the Messiah, as Peter declares, followed immediately by the declaration of his coming mistreatment and death, which obliterates effectively his final triumphant and rise on the third day an incomprehensible adjustment of hopes associated with the final judgment to be wrought at the coming of God's anointed now moved inside the middle of time and placing these disciples behind the one who would accomplish this and also demand their own following cross. Their sight, such as it is, is like seeing trees instead of men, even as they do follow, as we shall see. Jesus is heading into Gentile territory yet again, toward the villages of the Caesarea, which lies north of Galilee. And in response to his question to the disciples, about how they hear the crowds wrestling with just who he is, given all his dramatic and successful work on their behalf, the answers that rise up all have to do with a powerful Old Testament saint, including John the Baptist in his way, alive and at work in him. The Transfiguration account repeats this idea in its own way, and Herod had also worried about John having been raised up in Jesus. For Jesus belongs to a category that has more to do, has to do with more than meets the eye in just his human frame. Inspired beyond his human frame, Peter answers the question, you are the Christ. Yet Jesus' vehement admonition to tell no one anything is surely linked to the term Christ, a term requiring careful and difficult calibration if Christ is properly to be understood as this man Jesus standing before them and speaking now of his final destiny. Peter's rebuke of Jesus makes it clear that for him it is akin to a satanically inspired miscalculation. We have seen this misstep before and Jesus rounds on Peter 
that makes it clear his announcement of his identity and mission are divinely given, Peter's bold rebuttal is satanic. Jesus' words are then to the disciples and crowds both. Is there any way to get and then give something that would have the value of one's own life and capable of redeeming it from death? The answer is obvious enough. No. What could a man give for his life? But deep inside Jesus' rebuke to Peter and the disciples lies an answer difficult to see and accept. His cross, his cross will have that power. His cross is the only thing given capable of gaining our life. And so losing our life into his life, that life and death, is the means by which God is redeeming the world and giving us new life, eternal life in him. The servant of Isaiah, as we read in the Old Testament lesson in tract two, the servant of Isaiah had mapped this out in the providence of God's actions in Israel, though the road there is also obscure at points and not easy to follow. The lone servant, he is told by God, is the embodiment of faithful Israel. You are Israel. The servant is beaten and afflicted, yet stands fast in faith, as we hear this morning from chapter 50. And then finally, the servant will die. And by that means, recognition comes to the nations of the earth of God's purposes in him. As Israel confesses, it was a death capable of bearing sins and bringing new life for generations to come. The Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. It is the Lord God who helps me. The servant walks his path and prepares it for the one to come in the fullness of time in accordance, as the creed puts it, with the scriptures. And in the Old Testament, this is not an isolated walk, but one the psalmist declares in his own manner. The cords of death and the grip of the grave are overcome by the God who hears the cries of the faithful. The path Jesus lays out and declares we are to follow him in is a path of victory through death and sin, fragile and short-sighted though we be. The psalmist tells us our destiny in him and also our confidence in spite of all we can see now but dimly. You have rescued my life from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from stumbling, following in Jesus' strong steps. The track one reading is taken from the opening chapter of Proverbs. Here wisdom speaks in personified form, as she often will do in Proverbs, and is introduced in that role at the very start of the collection. Wisdom is the good teacher. 
who sets out the way of wisdom and warns of the dangers of following what is an easier, a seductive, and yet ultimately a simple and foolish way. Those who listen to me, wisdom says, will be secure, and this is also the counsel of Jesus Christ, as Paul will put it, the wisdom of God, prefigured here in Proverbs. The disciples and all followers must take up their cross and walk in his way, his path, even as it seems hard to see like men who look like trees and hard. The way of the world does not offer the ability to save one's life and striving along that path paradoxically ends in loss as Ecclesiastes reminds us in his wisdom. But the wisdom of the cross is greater than all human wisdom, and this is the path in which the wise followers will find their life. The psalmist describes this in terms of God's law. A law written into creation itself, declaring his glory by doing his bidding unceasingly and effortlessly without speech or language, yet communicating God's glory through obedience as his created wisdom. And law, in this sense, derives from this same deep in-creation wisdom, and it is to be desired more than gold. Peter and the disciples and all who follow Jesus must pray to be delivered from presumptuous sins and must be given clean hearts by God in Christ. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. My strength and my redeemer is justly the prayer of the Christian preacher that she or he might open her mouth in wisdom, cleansed by God's word. Which brings us properly into the range of James chapter 3, our epistle reading for today. James speaks about false teaching and the risk of speaking and teaching without being properly guided, which leads to Peter's peremptory rebuking or the paths of the simple in Proverbs, the foolish, orienting ourselves outside of God's wisdom and God's law. All of these arise naturally enough in us and need no encouragement. They are our fleshly defaults. So James, for this, uses the example of the tongue, which, though tiny, steers like a rudder on a mighty ship and boasts of this great exploit. And taming this tongue is harder, he says, than any taming known to man in the world, even of fierce and powerful animals. The challenge is clear, but the gift of correction and rebuke, we hear it today in the gospel, and the call to proper following 
lies before us in the gospel in a man who carried his cross in front of us behind this Lord Jesus who shows the way to life through his death and who grants us the wisdom of the law written now in our hearts by his hand. Isaiah says that his tongue, his tongue is the tongue of the servant, the tongue of wisdom taught anew morning by morning in Jesus' open ear and ready to guide our ship on our course in our life along its way. We hope you enjoyed Insights with Sights, the symphony of scripture. For archived episodes and notes, please visit www.wickliffcollege.ca slash podcast. Thank you, and we hope you tune in again. This podcast is a ministry of Wycliffe College at the University of Toronto.